Are you an entrepreneur, a designer, a developer? Never before has it been easier to get your new venture off the ground. Whether you're just getting started or have already begun your journey, you've come to the right place. In each episode, we'll dive into a new challenge, breaking it down into simple, digestible items. I'm Dimitri. And I'm Thanasis. And you're listening to Listen, Ship, Repeat. This is episode number three. Five key ways to hire your first developer as a non-tech founder. things are uh, nice how you doing awesome quite well quite well quite a busy week uh, these past few days a lot of things happening here we also have the uh, annual uh, film festival in town okay when then so yeah so a couple of movies not my taste ah you've seen a couple of movies already like art house type of stuff yeah okay yeah <laughs> all right uh, yeah very not my cup of tea i see What about you? I've um, been working hard. I mentioned a couple of things last time. Uh, we're ready to push our new stuff out to users. Actually, we, we've uh, already have them out there. We're just uh, in the stage of rolling them out uh, to our users, uh, one feature at a time. Uh, that's uh, Also, I've been working on a new blog post, uh, thinking of uh, putting on Medium soon. Um, I did a Scrum blog post a while back. Um, now I'm doing a, a Kanban um, blog post um, as, as, as an alternative to somebody that doesn't want to get into the uh, s- structured way of doing stuff with Scrum. Uh, been working on it here and there. I think I'll be able to post it in a few days' time. So that's uh, pretty much it. Awesome. Um, I, think, I think I might... It's a couple of those movies that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good uh, distraction to, <laughs> to everyday life, certainly. It is. It Because, is. Uh, yeah, I had some hard times too, uh, some outages on one of the servers that uh, I've been kind of having a part-time contract with and uh, quite a few things uh, discovered in terms of uh, the Heroku platform. But uh, they are too technical for now, so okay. I'll leave it for another day. I hope that uh, it ends well for you. Yeah, we're still uh, optim- uh, optimizing the platform and uh, scaling up our preparation, so everything is under control now. Awesome. Okay. Now, today we're looking into hiring your first developer as a non-tech founder. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to... Uh, give some uh, some ways in, for, in order for people to achieve that. Um, do you want to get started, Thanasis? Certainly. So we're going to go through five uh, key ways in hiring. Um, they are in no particular order, I guess. The first one is, uh, well, it is about educating yourself. Since uh, as a non-tech founder, you supposedly are coming to the tech industry for the first time, so um, you might uh, want to first understand the playfield, the environment that you are going to venture in, and uh, there are many ways to do that. One of them is uh, to go through a process of uh, 
doing back-to-back uh, -back interviews uh, in quantities, in massive quantities, like uh, 30, 40, 50 candidates. Um, and that what that, that would give you is uh, different perspectives for the same subject. So if you systematize it correctly, for instance, have uh, very specific questions that you ask everybody, ask them the same questions again and again, and improve on those questions as you go along and your understanding becomes better, uh, since everyone is going to reveal one different, uh, let's call it hidden view on the subject, on the matter, on the domain of expertise that you're looking for. Um, you will then be able to compare the different responses you are getting through the uh, interviews with the candidates and towards that end, educate yourself. That is a standard practice uh, I do. So, for instance, when I was working at an enterprise and we wanted to find uh, an ERP solution along with a CRM solution, uh, that was a totally new domain for me. The, the standard practice that I did was exactly that. Call out every possible vendor and uh, through the vendor um, selection process, I practically educated myself on the on the subject so that I knew what questions to ask and uh, where to look for. Cool. Another thing that I, I've uh, seen with uh, non-technical founders or non-technical people in general that want to enter this uh, space, this industry, it's uh, the subject of uh, estimations when when building stuff. Um, so for one reason or the other, uh, people might have uh, misconceptions about uh, the process involved into creating software. And uh, like every domain that you enter that you're not very familiar with, uh, stuff is always, almost always, not what it seems. So in the beginning, you might... Uh, You'll be talking to your developers. They'll be giving you estimates on the projects that they'll be working on. And uh, that's something that, uh, as a uh, part of this, uh, you'll have to become familiar with too. It's something that uh, you'll be dealing with every day. Uh, people will have to justify time and effort that goes into a project, into an estimation, and eventually uh, the cost surrounding that. Um, some uh, figures that uh, associated with this, um, in my experience, is that 80% uh, of the time stuff is off. Um, another figure that uh, I've had to deal with is uh, QA. Usually that's 25% of the time. So if a project takes 10 hours, um, then you'll definitely be adding two and a half hours on top of that. And... Uh, so how would you be getting better at this? How are you familiar, familiarize yourself with this? Well, uh, quite simply, uh, get on the internet and Google it. Um, get onto uh, some blogs, get onto Medium, uh, find some developers, follow them, look into how they work, and uh, accustom yourself with this. So if I may, Dimitri, one thing to understand here, because this is the biggest point of friction between non-tech founders and developers is to understand that uh, software development doesn't work like a production line. So you, it's not uh, 
the process of putting in raw material, passing them to a machine and uh, getting out an output in an expected time frame and even being able to factor in the machine failures. It's, it has no, no relation to that, right? Certainly not. However, what um, by observing uh, people that I've worked with over the years is that uh, experience is uh, always the, the number one factor into this. So in, in the beginning, uh, as you said, it might be a point of friction because uh, you always want stuff yesterday or for some reason you've uh, convinced yourself that this task will take a much shorter time for whatever reason. And maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. Regardless, over a course of time, you will uh, gain the experience in order to get at least a, a ballpark understanding of how long something would take. Uh, a landing page takes this much. Uh, a specific action, talking to a network, getting a request back, takes this much. And so on and so forth. So it's a combination of uh, looking at the right places in order to begin and get started and learning from your experience the more that you're exposed uh, to working with developers. Right, right. And uh, understanding uh, developer culture is uh, something that would uh, assist you in that endeavor. Understanding developer culture, so um, developers, uh, a specific kind of people, I don't know how that came out, uh, Thanasi. But uh, maybe they have their own uh, uh, special ways of uh, dealing with uh, life, the universe, and everything. Communicating. Yes. If you, you can immerse yourself in this culture, though, and you can get to know them. And uh, the easiest way to do it is uh, get to know a developer and, uh, uh, or developers and, and socialize with them. Go grab a meal, some beers. And what will be the... Uh, ideal way to do that if you live in a city with uh, more than uh, a few tens of thousands of people these days um, or even a hundred thousand people or more uh, there'll be an active developer scene and the best way to get to know them is they will all be um, uh, organizing uh, some sort of meetups how do you discover the meetups you can go to meetup.com you can go to local groups in the area facebook groups uh, I find that uh, Meetup is a, a good platform for that. And you just show up. If your city is, uh, or if you live in a city or at least a town, um, you'll be very surprised, pleasantly surprised to find out that there's at least uh, one Meetup per evening. Um, and uh, you can go there, you can lurk in the beginning, and uh, you can ask questions, you can engage. They usually go for drinks afterwards. You can tag along and get to know them. And this is even, even if you're not, uh, if you're not uh, willing to become a family startup, it's it's a great way to socialize with people of a very special interest and uh, domain. And uh, basically, this is uh, one of the best tactics you can have in order to attract developers, because the more that you are present in those meetups and the more uh, you are exposing yourself to the developers, the more they get to know you better, they trust you. So the moment that you are going to need to have developers, hire developers, you will already have a network established. And the network of trust really really is important and it cannot happen in a day. You have to commit yourself uh, through that process of uh, being engaged with the community 
and uh, you're going to see your dividends pay off after a year or so. But it's something that you need to do. And if you want to look at uh, quote success stories, I've run a couple of uh, Cocoheads uh, iOS meetups. I'm, uh, I'm running one now at the moment. I've had people come in and say, would anybody be interested in picking up a project? Uh, I've had people approach me and uh, I just mention at the meetup. So I've, I've, at the top of my head, I've, I've helped at least uh, one, three times. I've brought people together three times just from the specific meetup that uh, uh, I've been part of. And uh, I suppose that uh, maybe even in these meetups, other people have come together too. So it's a tried and tested um, strategy. Absolutely. To get to know people. Absolutely. Especially if you want to attract local talent versus remote. Yep. Uh, it's it's the only practice that you can get through. So <clears throat> educating yourself was uh, one way. The other, uh, Another step, another way is uh, on how you can vet the developer, how you can establish that what they say they are, they actually are. And of course, uh, we understand the problem here. You are a non-technical founder and you are called upon to judge on a technical uh, perspective, a developer. Um, there are some ways you can uh, actually uh, do that. Uh, first off, any developer that's worth their salt should have a personal website, all right? So their own personal website where at the very least they have uh, some kind of photo. <laughs> I've seen all kinds of things. And, uh, you know, their name, what they do, what their projects are, what their social links are. So get onto that site and uh, check it out. Do they If they have a blog, that's even better. You can start reading on their blog and uh, see, you know, their English, in case they're not native speakers, um, their thoughts, how they write, how they structure their thoughts. There are a lot of things that you can tell from reading their blogs. As a follow-up to what I mentioned before about the meetups is uh, tapping into your own network. And I'm sure we've uh, mentioned this in the previous episode. So you're at a point in your career, in your life, that you've been uh, through several jobs you've met a lot of people and uh, if uh, you've been lucky enough um, you, you've built some uh, meaningful uh, relationships so feel free uh, to reach out to them maybe um, if uh, you have your multiple interviews maybe one of your network buddies can uh, join you maybe you'd like to ask somebody to review a couple of CVs maybe you'd like to ask somebody to have a look at a couple of blogs or posts that you just mentioned and uh, educate yourself in the process and uh, discover new talent also. Right. So, yeah. Uh, Dimitri, are you suggesting to have a developer friend by your side to aid you in the technical uh, vetting? Yes, it would help. Right. Definitely. Yeah. If you can do that, yeah. Th that's what I'm saying. If you could do that, it's by no means a a hard prerequisite it'll be great and it will help you and uh, most likely uh, you might get a better fit but th there's a lot of soft skills involved too and we're going to be talking about those shortly so it's not 100% technical even though it's a 100% technical uh, job yeah. there's a lot of soft skills involved so if you can complement your own 
uh, search with uh, somebody that you've known uh, that you trust the technical expertise, by all means, go ahead. Yeah, right, right. And of course, all standard rules in hiring apply, right? So if uh, in whatever means you find uh, a common reference, uh, or even if not, you can feel free to directly ask for, uh, you know, some reference for those de uh, developers from their previous bosses, okay? You're going to have their histories, their CVs, at your disposal, so it's totally okay to pick up the phone and call their bosses and say, you know, I'm considering hiring uh, John, Joe, whatever, uh, what do you think? Now, another uh, more passive way of uh, vetting the status of the developer is their social cloud. So how do they stand out in the community? And uh, you can figure this out pretty much it's a basic social, um, how can I say, scam, <laughs> betting. Uh, so you start by standard things like Twitter, how many followers, how often do they post or not. Uh, and that, of course, on its own doesn't mean anything. It's only uh, as a whole that you need to draw a picture. Let me explain. So, for instance, next is LinkedIn. How How's their LinkedIn profile? how rich it is, how much it has been used. Uh, those things you can tell by watching, by seeing uh, just a LinkedIn profile. And then there are some developer-specific uh, mega, mega communities. Uh, one of them is GitHub, of course, which is going to be a requirement for a developer to operate in the today's modern web. Um, so definitely check out the developer's GitHub page. And in there, you're going to observe uh, their activity, how many open source projects they've made, uh, how many to how many organizations they belong. And as you go and skim through different profiles, you're going to understand how they compare. Another mega community site is Stack Overflow. Um, so this is a Q&A website. Somebody asks a question and then the other peers or the developers come in and answer them. So during that process, it's like a gaming system. You earn points, and uh, developers are developers that have uh, you know like thousands of points. Again, you need to compare between profiles to understand how they compare. Now, uh, I've mentioned uh, four social networks to get some social proof. There are tens of others, and not a single one of them can give a picture. It's just that the whole of them just tells a picture. So um, if a developer doesn't have any of those uh, social proofs uh, developed at any reasonable point, then that's possibly a flag. It's not necessarily a flag, but it's something to further ask them. You know, why uh, aren't you present anywhere? You don't blog, you don't tweet, you don't uh, have any open source, you don't participate in any projects. You know, what, what gives? Why is that? So that's a question to ask in case of that. Otherwise, you then have some kind of social proof. Um, not, not every developer will be present like that, and a lot of great developers are like that. So even if they're not present on any of these, or what would be an, an acceptable answer for you? For example, so they don't tweet. That's understandable. And maybe they don't use LinkedIn, um, do you use LinkedIn, for example? Um, 
I do not use LinkedIn, but I do have a full profile. Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah, okay, fair enough. 100% complete profile with photo and everything. There might be a lurker on Stack Overflow. Uh, in, in terms of what could be a flag, I'll probably uh, look at GitHub. And I think at this stage, any developer worth his... Uh, um, I can't complete ex- express. I'm sorry, I forgot. Worth his X salt, salt, <laughs> perfect. Uh, they'll have a, a GitHub account, so they have a, a few projects. Maybe a few of them are start and forked. Maybe a few of them are different uh, platforms. Um, yeah, organizations you mentioned. Would you rank GitHub to be the first one on on all this? Well, listen, the idea is like that. If you are 20 years old, first programmer out of college. It's expected that you won't have much, although it's not a you know a self-driven twenty-year-old. Uh, we've we have seen a lot of uh, miracles going on, <laughs> okay, in terms of uh, those kinds of uh, social tools. But supposedly, it's more excusable on a twenty-year-old to have no presence at all, rather than it would be at a later uh, at an older developer, because. Um, even if uh, it's not your aim or goal to take care of any of your public profiles, just through the course of working professionally for web development, you are bound to be uh, in those uh, in some of those social tools. Like you mentioned, GitHub, it's a necessity. Uh, you must have asked at least one or two questions in Stack Overflow in your lifetime, right? Otherwise, what are you doing? I, I, I have a, <laughs> I got one of my gold badges. I have a famous question. Right, there you go. I, I, you know, when something new comes out, there's always the first round of uh, questions and answers. So, you know, Swift came out and it was a good opportunity if you wanted to build up something. Right. So, and to, to, uh, to extend on the GitHub and to uh, emphasize the importance of that is the projects that the developer has done their portfolio and they can either be uh, here's a website here's a company that I've worked with which is you know a URL of a startup a company or something that's already online and live and this is what I did for that company I built it from scratch or I made uh, the upload component or whatever Um, or those projects are actually open source projects that are accessible through GitHub and uh, the way that you Evaluate those and their importance is through, there is a system in GitHub with stars, you know, which pretty much shows popularity of an open source project. So, you know, I have like a hundred open source projects, uh, 95 of them have zero stars because it's stuff that I did that I wanted to do and they're really not popular, right? I cannot really advertise those as something that... uh, uh, would look good in the eyes of a non-tech founder. So uh, that's one way to evaluate uh, the open source projects of a developer. First off, do they exist? Which means that they are self-driven, active. They they take time out of their free time to do some open source. And secondly, how uh, successful are they in the open world, in the open source world, which means... uh, you know, validation by their peers. You know, you, you uh, mentioned uh, read their blogs before. I just got an, uh, a light bulb on top of my head. You can also listen to podcasts like this one. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. Just uh, one thing based on that. So if they have no social cloud, they, they must have 
or have a weak social clout, they'll have at least a portfolio of stuff they've done. N- nobody can be completely invisible. Yes. That's yes. my takeaway on this. Now, another more... Um, uh, another way. <laughs> another way, yep. Another way is instead of hiring uh, one developer, you can hire two. Now, that's a bit uh, cheeky because, uh, you know, developers... <laughs> Don't come cheap. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But there are certain situations uh, you can approach this and build this that it might make sense to you uh, with your, your constrained uh, uh, resources. So I'll just mention something very particular, and I know that we might have even mentioned it even in our inaugural episode. So after you made your choice, maybe you want to hire somebody more senior uh, as a part-time developer, just to get in there and uh, make sure that all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted uh, alongside your uh, intermediate, junior, or even uh, senior developer you've already hired. Absolutely. And the goal here is to churn out a product that is uh, 100% robust and maintainable from the get-go. So... This involves a lot of things. We're going to dedicate a whole episode on that and what quality software means. Uh, most of it, you know, TLDR is about testing and how important that is. And um, we've seen so many times through our careers the same movie play again and again and again. Uh, founder wants to do it on the cheap, hires some very cheap uh, developers who are really... Uh, starting out and don't have the experience of building out systems. Developer labor. Yeah, yeah. Some cheap developer labor. Yeah. (laughs) So, and uh, something comes out as a prototype, uh, they go forward with it, it has some kind of success, and then problems come out, the same exact problems out again and again, development gets slower and slower and slower until it reaches down to a point of an absolute crawl and stop. That, that typically happens one and a half, two years down the road. And at that moment, you go into a rewrite. You now then have the money and uh, you employ better developers to do it right. Now, all of that dead time costs not only money, but opportunities lost in the market that you could uh, benefit from by actually um, having a robust and tested code base that isn't legacy by the moment it's written. And uh, towards, uh, again, we've seen that that movie play so many times. And uh, then that's actually where me and Dimitri actually met for the very first time at uh, such a company when we <laughs> were in the process of uh, rewriting the whole application from the ground up. And uh, yeah, fun times. But uh, that's the whole point here. And this can be avoided. This can be avoided with a way that Dimitri mentioned or can be avoided by having at least two developers in hopes of one checking on, on the other. However, I don't know if, uh, you know, uh, what's the saying here? The, the single-eyed person can lead the blind people <laughs> if that's optimal for your business and that is what uh, you actually want to commit and put out as a 
product quality, but uh, these are things that you need to consider that throughout the lifetime of product development and that lifetime spans throughout three to five years, how much is going to cost you to go on the chip versus paying something up, something less, something small up front to have it done right on, from the get-go. Indeed. So moving on, um, I think we've pretty much nailed the fact, Anasi, that uh, this is a, a technical job requiring tons of technical knowledge and uh, on a daily basis, always being able to educate yourself having contributed in many ways out there in the world with the products, uh, whether they're open source or closed source or hardware, software, websites or apps, etc. However, I, I think uh, to really bring it home, it, personality goes a long way. Have you seen Pulp Fiction? Personality <laughs> goes a long way. And uh, it does. And, you know, you have to look at uh, character traits. So you're the non-tech founder, and uh, you're looking for your developer and uh, you want to build something, a certain environment that um, you where, you where you're working with somebody um, in the long term, so you're committed to building your startup. And uh, so you need those soft skills. You need a special uh, kind of person uh, to be able to work with you every single day and communicate with you. So that, let's look at a couple of these things. I consider number one uh, to be leadership. So your first developer uh, is probably going to be when you uh, outgrow the, the company size of two people, uh, they're going to be the leader that's going to expand the team, yeah? And um, we've actually have a, a great episode you can go back and listen to uh, about um, organizing and, and building uh, your, your project managing management infrastructure with this person so feel free to go back and listen to it and maybe you can grill them in a couple of points that are mentioned in there um, potentially this person will be somebody that's going to be your uh, product owner your uh, CTO your uh, project manager etc etc so uh, make sure the leadership uh, text box uh, checkbox is ticked if you come to this point in your life also when you want to get your startup off the ground you have this great idea uh, you've decided to invest time and money uh, partnering up with somebody hiring somebody so you don't want them to uh, leave in the next couple of months so you have to focus on long-term commitment and uh, that's a combination of uh, several things so uh, we're going to be talking about financial incentives uh, a bit further on Let's talk about the, the non-financial uh, uh, stuff. So make sure that you build a, an environment that uh, is nurturing to initiatives and incentives and, and great product ideas and building great stuff. Uh, make sure you have a very positive, uh, non-toxic uh, uh, culture where people uh, enjoy working with each other. You want people to show up uh, at the office or in your virtual office every day looking forward to the stuff they'll be making uh, until the end of that day and uh, feel proud for it and that is uh, eventually uh, what will make them stick around because you know maybe uh, you, you're paying uh, market rates or better than market rates and maybe your competitors doing the same and to find that number of good developers out there 
So uh, building a nice work environment uh, where people can thrive will guarantee that they'll stick around uh, for the long haul. Communication, uh, actually, I should have mentioned communication first, but uh, what the hell. Make sure people uh, can communicate what they're thinking, articulate what they're thinking very clearly, uh, be able to define tasks uh, um, in ways that minimize the follow-up later on, um, write clearly, uh, document very uh, nicely, and be able to uh, communicate everything so people don't have to go back and forth and uh, f- finally, uh, you know, being able to... Uh, Dimitri, if I may, on communication. Of course, of course. Another, um, another factor is to be able to communicate complex technical matters in terms that you will understand as a non-technical exactly. founder, right? Being able to exactly. summarize the challenges and make them understandable by your understanding. Absolutely. Thanks for that. Um, being able to explain in layman's terms, uh, basically, yes. uh, where, where applicable. Uh, I think I should also say that as a non-tech founder, maybe it's your responsibility to uh, up, up your game also in terms of what you understand to be technical. Yeah. And uh, um, I would say try to meet somewhere in the middle, but more on the technical side. Because at the end of the day, um, I don't think... Absolutely everything out there can be expressed in layman's terms. It is a technical operation. Absolutely. And uh, finally, social. But but I think I've covered that when I was mentioning the long-term commitment. So uh, get social, friendly people, uh, positive people, and uh, only good stuff will happen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean social, the way that I perceive it is how well... Uh, this developer can uh, board with other developers because uh, one of the bigger problems that developers have is their egos and uh, they can go a long way into uh, you know snobbing or not talking or otherwise uh, uh, keeping other developers uh, at the side so that, that kind of social aspect has to be uh, well understood and uh, understand its candidate where they stand towards that attitude. I hear what you're saying about the uh, the, the, the snobby stuff. In my experience, uh, if it's done in good spirit, it's fine. And I think 99.99% of the time uh, it happens like that. But you know that 0.01, just uh, make sure you... Uh, if you see it happening, uh, it could lead to, to bad behavior, so make sure you cut it at the root. But it's all in good fun from my point of view, especially from uh, antagonizing points of view or selection of technologies and languages. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There, there needs to be a harmony in all of those decisions. So um, the final uh, part in hiring as a non-tech founder, and this, of course, applies to any type even with technical, if you're, you're technical able, technically able, is to provide the incentives for the long-term commitment to the developer. So, um, what are the incentives? The incentives are basically stock from your company that you give out to developers. And the reason you, you're doing that is uh, because you want them uh, to have a piece of uh, the pie, you want them to 
uh, have a piece of the game and uh, you want them engaged and committed uh, and have all of their interests uh, towards the success of uh, towards the success of your company of your business um, in broad terms there are two kind of agreements you can make to provide stock one of them is uh, stock options and the other one is the restricted stock agreement uh, let's briefly go through what is what stock options means that you give the employee uh, the option to buy out stocks from your company at a premium price so that means that basically means that the employee the developer has to give out money to the company pay out to buy those stocks at a premium price uh, those stocks are of course very restricted and several rules apply on them uh, going through the specifics and the details of the contracts is beyond the <coughs> purposes of those po these podcasts some other time maybe uh, the other option is a restricted stock agreement which is basically handing out uh, stock directly to the employee uh, so the moment the those stock options are available to the employee uh, that's the moment that uh, they actually own it of course they cannot resell it uh, it's up to the company's board to dictate what is going to happen to them but for both cases the expectation here is to use the, both of those tools in the extremely unlikely event of success <laughs> which is uh, you uh, you either have a, a buyout event somebody purchases you um, or merges with you or you go out on an IPO those are the kind of uh, events that we are that those kind of agreements uh, have as goal now um, what to choose and when between those two options uh most likely you would use the RS, the rsa the restricted stock agreement on the very early stage employees number one two three four five well i don't know about five maybe um and you would use the stock options in a post CSA funding so after you got your first vc money that's when you would have uh, by definition set up a stock options pool some something like 30 percent out of your stocks is going to be reserved for giving out to uh, employees and uh, a stock option agreement is a more cooperative kind of thing um, that gives that gives out less to the employee compared to the restricted stock agreement and uh when you're starting out as an on-tech founder and you need to convince uh, a developer, whatever their skill might, level might be, uh, the giving out stock is the norm today. And giving out stock, especially in the form of restricted stock agreement, can somehow also act as leverage to lower um, the uh, the value the compensation the developer is going to get so for instance uh, and that's what that's what basically both both parties would want to have as an agreement which is uh, 
I am a developer. I want to work with you. I, I listened to your idea. I really liked it. I kind of believe in it. And uh, so I want to invest my time in you. And that's, that's something to understand that uh, the developer has choices. All right. So apart from the money, it's also, and most importantly, time that they're investing because time never comes back. And uh, so I want to get some stock out of that company right because i believe in it and uh if we both come to an understanding that say i want to charge you a hundred units whatever that is uh, dollars euros uh, rupees and you tell me okay here's the deal i'm going to pay you 80 and i'm going to raise your rso from two percent to three percent if that deal is acceptable it's a win-win for everybody and so that's how you can also leverage the rso instead of just being for incentives to replace as some part of uh, their salary. Now, how? Uh, let's talk a little bit about percentages and how they formulate. Typically, on the when you are the very first seed round or before that, and uh, you are giving out RSO. What I've typically seen happening for the first hire, and especially if that hire is. Uh, senior level that is going to lead your team, build it, hire people and structure everything. Uh, they should be typically give, be given three to five percent towards a three or four year vesting plan. And the vesting plan is that the method where you give out the percentage gradually over time versus giving it all up front. So they would eventually get the five percent after four years of staying within the company. Um, the next hires, second, third, fifth developer, um, anywhere between 0.1 to 2% uh, is acceptable based on their skill and uh, what they bring on the table. That's pretty much it. Beyond CSA, you are going with stock options and at that point there is no meaning in measuring in terms of percentages. It's uh, only in terms of uh, thousands of stocks out of the millions of stocks available in the company. Now, uh, one last remark is about uh, confusing the RSO with uh, co-founder status. So uh, having a, an RSO agreement in a four-year vesting plan of 5% doesn't mean that you're a co-founder, that the developer is a co-founder, or for that reason, you know, you should have... Uh, absurd expectations <laughs> because of that percentage. Um, if you are serious about somebody becoming of co-founder status, that would be anything beyond 15%. That's what uh, would constitute a meaningful uh, co-foundership and uh, percentage uh, sharing, let's say. So um, that's pretty much it about incentives uh, to recap on the five key ways to hire your first developer as a non-tech founder first uh, educate yourself uh, understand the environment second uh, vet your technical uh, you know candidate using all of the means that we have mentioned uh, try to hire two developers either two juniors at a full-time capacity or uh, one senior at a part-time and uh, one junior at a full-time capacity. Uh, be wary of the 
character traits of the developer, you know, their leadership, uh, their communication skills, uh, their commitment to what you're doing. And finally, incentivize uh, all of the all of your employees in the manner that we just described. Awesome. So um, if you have any questions about whatever we discussed tonight, uh, feel free to call us on 866-370-5050 from anywhere. Or you can email us at hello at listenshiprepeat.com. You can subscribe on iTunes for searching for us, Listen, Ship, Repeat. Um, feel free to go in there, uh, drop uh, some stars or review. Please, please, please. Please keep in mind that... <laughs> um, that you don't have to write a review when you star us but the more stars we get the more people uh, will be able to discover us it's our food it's our food it is it is and um, <laughs> last but not least uh, visit our website at listenshiprepeat.com thank you for listening tonight um, from both of us uh, goodbye goodbye bye bye